0: Hi,
1: I'm Rick Henderson and welcome to a new edition of the PocketLint Podcast. In this episode, I chat about the Made by Google event and the products that were launched with PocketLint Editorial Director Chris Hall, discuss e-readers with the CEO of Kobo, Michael Tamblin, and invite Cam Bunton to join us to preview the Xiaomi 12T Pro, which he saw in Munich recently. First, back to Chris and Google. The event was a bit of a strange one, with plenty of other expected devices, such as the Nest Doorbell Wired, launching a few days beforehand. So what did you make of it, Chris?
2: Well, I felt like we were going into it knowing exactly everything that Google was going to announce, because they'd teased so much and announced so many things in advance. So it was kind of a strange event. Obviously... They launched the Pixel 7 and the Pixel 7 Pro, but they had already told us they were going to do that. And they also launched the Pixel Watch, which is a sort of a new venture for for Google. But they'd already told us about that too. So that left us kind of searching for surprises.
1: Yeah, there were very few big shockers. Um, The Pixel tablet looks good though. So let's go through the products very quickly. Um, The Pixel 7 and the Pixel 7 Pro, what do they kind of improve upon based on last year's models?
2: Well, they're very much an incremental move. The, the design has been tweaked slightly, but you can see that they're using the same sort of language. So if you've got a, a Pixel 6, you'll look at the Pixel 7 and say, well, it's almost the same. There's a big change uh, inside because it moves to a new press processor, this so-called Tensor G2, which is uh, claiming to be more efficient and um, should give better performance overall. But with the Pixel 7, there's not really a huge number of changes. The cameras kind of stay much the same as they were before, and so do the rest of the spec. So the, the changes there are mostly software. For the Pixel 7 Pro, there are a couple of those changes, but there's more going into the camera. There's more functionality. There's a bigger play towards how Google is going to try and use Zoom on these Pixel cameras, promising to give you better quality zoom out to um longer ranges. Um, but but outside those things, they do feel pretty much the same as they were before.
1: Um, and then, of course, there's the Pixel Watch, which um, is uh, Google's first ever made-in-house smartwatch. Of course, it uses Wear OS, which is their own software developed, co-developed with Samsung. Um, what did you think of the Pixel Watch? Um, it's a big one for them to suddenly launch straight into the smartwatch market themselves.
2: It is. I mean, the first time I sat down with Google to talk about watches was in 2017. And it was the launch of some watches that LG had been working on. And when I saw the Pixel watch, I was immediately reminded of the LG watches. And when LG produced those watches, it was very clear that there had been some collaboration between Google and LG. And the the idea really was to showcase what uh, a Wear OS watch could do. And I get the same feeling again this time. It doesn't really feel hugely different to other watches on the market. Obviously, it's been made by Google, but they have made a conscious decision to offer a very sort of simple, minimalist, round design. And I do wonder how many people are going to be attracted to that, because my first instinct when I looked at it was that it was, you know, almost like a a child had designed it. You ask a child to draw a watch, that's probably what they would draw um, and when you've got things like Apple venturing out with the Ultra to make it more exciting and you've got people going after like divers watches and, and chunkier designs, I do wonder what the market is going to be be for this type of device. The main thing, though, is it's it's all going to be about experience and whether Wear OS can elevate itself to be a uh, reasonable opponent to what you get from from Apple Watch. But certainly there are no shortage of functions. And Lots of lots of very clever stuff going into this, aiming to make it a perfect partner for your Android smartphone.
1: Of course, um, Google uh, acquired Fitbit, I think last year. Um, so there's an awful lot of Fitbit integrated functionality, isn't there?
2: Yeah, Google is saying that this is the best Fitbit, and we were kind of expecting Fitbit to launch a new smartwatch earlier in the year, and they didn't. And it was, you know, it feels to me like they want the Pixel Watch to be the ultimate Fitbit smartwatch. There's a lot of talk about accuracy from the heart rate sensor. So the slimmer design may be to appeal to that sort of fitness market. And it it does kind of feel to me like it's going for smaller wrists, perhaps aimed at female users rather than, you know, stereotypical male users often want to wear a larger watch with more prominent features. But yeah, it's certainly, that's certainly something to look at and testing the Fitbit features is going to be high up on the list.
1: Um, and the uh, the last big well, it wasn't a surprise, but the last big product they kind of highlighted um, was the Pixel tablet. Now that to me actually looked like the best of the bunch. Um, I'm actually mildly interested in the tablet, not least because it's a return to that tactile rear casing that we kind of I, I seem to remember from the Nexus devices, and certainly the Tesco Huddle, if anybody <laughs> remembers that. <laughs> <laughs> that had a very text, a tactile, almost rubberish rear casing.
2: Yeah, I mean, Apple has been well known for using an aluminium slab for its uh, for its iPads for such a long time that any other text texture that you get from a tablet is almost a relief. Um, this again was teased back at Google I/O in in May 2020, and the tablet's not actually due to launch until 2023. But there is a big surprise here, which is it's not just going to be an Android tablet. It's also going to be dockable with a special speaker dock that will charge it. And that effectively turns it into a Nest Hub. So that means that when you're not using your tab, you can just slap it onto the dock and then it will sit there and perform other functions for you, give you access to to Google Assistant so that you can talk to it, get it to control your smart home, play your music through the speakers in the dock and stuff like that. So it looks like an expanded move to give you a sort of domestic Tablet that's going to be a little bit more useful than just a, a straightforward slab.
1: It's something that uh, Amazon uh, attempted with the Fire Tablet, isn't it? It's they. Uh, yeah, they yeah, did something they, similar.
2: They also offer a dock so that you can you can use Alexa and and have a sort of um, they call it show mode, so it can basically become an Echo Show. The advantage that Google is offering is that they uh, they're boosting the audio output, so that should mean that when you play music, it sounds better. Whereas with a docked um, Fire tablet, when you turn that on, you're using the tablet speakers, which are fine at short range. But when you're trying to fill the room with sound, they they don't really work.
1: I suppose what's key will be the price, which we we don't have a clue of yet. But um, back to pricing on other things, um, I was quite impressed with the pricing for the Pixel phones specifically.
2: Yeah, the surprise here is that Google hasn't moved the price up at all. So it's the same as it was last year. Um, So if you're in the UK, it's £599 for the Pixel 7 and £849 for the Pixel 7 Pro. Uh, Dollar and euro prices stay in check, so there's no great um, difference in price between the different regions, which is important because Apple did make quite a big difference between the dollar price and the euro price, uh, for example. Um, And the, uh, the Pixel Watch is a little expensive. It comes in Wi-Fi or connected LTE version. And in the UK, that's, uh, I believe it's £349 or £379, uh, which is still a fairly expensive price. It's obviously priced alongside sort of Apple Watch kind of position.
1: And finally, um, are you looking forward to getting them all in for review? I'm excited about
2: the, the Pixel 7 Pro. I've used the Pixel Six Pro is my sort of fallback phone when I haven't been reviewing other devices, um, and it, it always comes back to the camera. You you take a, you take a photo with a Pixel phone and it's good in almost any conditions, both from the front and the back. Uh, Google are totally honest about this and say that so much of it comes down to the processing technologies that they put in, and they really are driving uh, computational photography. Um, and that's something that the new hardware is supposed to power as well. So yeah, I'm really keen to see how that Zoom works. You know how the rest of it all pans out. Um, it, it's it's not a huge change, but I think there's enough in it for Android fans to pay attention and say, oh yeah, okay, this is a this is a good phone.
1: Later, Cam will be here to give us his first impressions on the Xiaomi 12T Pro. But first, I recently caught up with Michael Tamblyn, the CEO of Rakuten Kobo. His company has introduced a new e-book reader in the last month, which is arguably the most eco-friendly device in the category. Over 85% of the Kobo Clara 2e has been made using recycled plastics. We talk about that, but I started by asking him why e-readers have defied predictions that they'd die out when tablets came onto the market. Many years later, they're still going strong.
0: It, it, you're absolutely right. There was a, there was a period probably in you know, 2010, 2011, 2012, where, um, where the assumption was absolutely that if people would have one device in their pocket or have one device in their bag, it would do absolutely everything. And, and so having a, a single-function device like an e-reader was going to be a, like a transitory uh, technology that would be supplanted. And I think what we found instead, and, it, and in retrospect maybe shouldn't have been surprised by, is the degree to which people like to specialize certain kinds of media experiences. So your phone, um, your phone will show video, your tablet will show video, but if you're watching football, you want a giant screen TV so that you can see every blade of grass on the field. And if you are a music lover, you're going to pitch the free headphones that came with your phone, and you're going to get you know, a $300 set of headphones that you know, give you the, you know, the absolute perfect you know, audio fidelity of you know, you know, kind of recreation of, of Albert Hall. And, um, and for books, if you are a person who reads, Continuously, If you're a person who reads two books a week, you're going to go looking for that experience that makes the best version of that, uh, of that media experience. And that is, you know, that's turned out to be paper on one side and Yankee readers on the other. So it's, it's proven to be not just a durable technology, but one that we've been able to successfully innovate in over the years and keep people coming back to it.
1: Does that help that um, it's always been a media that uh, that has an anti glare screen and it actually does things that tablet can't really do.
0: I I think there have been two things that have um, that have cemented the popularity of of e readers in, in in amidst all of the other electronics that people use. One, as you say, is that that e ink screen that works perfectly in daylight that uh, you know, that doesn't have glare um, that is low power so you don't have to be charging it every night. Uh, and so the, the quality of the the reading experience itself is one part. I think the other part speaks to one of the things that people like about reading which is it's an immersive uninterrupted experience and you know, the thing that you like about sitting down and reading is that your boss isn't sending you messages <laughs> and you're, <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you're not getting calendar alerts come popping up and your social media isn't thinking at you. You're able to either immerse yourself in a story or focus deeply on something that you're trying to learn. And, um, and that's just harder to do on a phone. It's harder to do on a tablet, just like it's harder to do on a computer screen. You know, reading is just a very different experience.
1: I suppose another question on top of that is that, um, I mean, the Kobo lines. I've been following it for quite some time, and it's constantly being refreshed with new models. But um, how hard is it to to introduce new innovations for e-readers? Because essentially and fundamentally, the purpose of an e-reader is the same today as it was a decade ago.
0: The reading part, yes. (laughs) That that is true. Um, It's... What we found is that innovations come from two directions. Yeah, one comes from the you know the pure research and materials side. So screens getting better, uh, contrasts getting higher, resolutions getting better. You know all of those things where it's the you know the people that are kind of working on the um, on the components of the device as that just marches on. It's um, we're able to improve e-readers that way. So if you pick up an e-reader now versus one that you picked up in 2010, it is a markedly different experience just on the page itself. Yeah. Crisper, sharper, higher contrast, more responsive. So all of that gets better all the time. The the other side though, is that we get innovation from talking to uh, our customers, to our users and finding out what keeps them from, Doing more reading in digital. Like what are the things that hold people back, and, and the answers have led to some of our biggest um, our biggest innovations on the device side. When um, the reason that we decided to waterproof e-readers was when we did research that found that forty seven percent of uh, of frequent readers either read in the bathtub or. Uh, take books to the beach or by the pool when they go on vacation, and they were afraid of taking their e-reader into those places because they didn't want to lose it or get it damaged. So, as soon as we waterproof a device, all of a sudden we've unlocked this whole uh, you know, this this whole area and space of time where where people can be reading again. So, you know that you know front lighting of devices and uh, front lighting <laughs> waterproofing, variable color temperature. Um, uh, lights that change over the course of the day so it doesn't interrupt your sleep. All of those things came from what our customers were telling us. And the same, yeah, the same goes for what we're doing with our, uh, with our new e-reader now with um, Kobo Clara 2E, um, where we're bringing in recycled plastics
1: um when people think of e readers is a kobo specific question um they often think of a competitor's brand um we can't we can't help but do that but how do you combat
0: that uh, there, there are a couple of ways you know, one is i think that we've always had a more open sense of what an e reader can be you know that you would be buying books from us you would probably be bringing them from other places as well you might be borrowing them from the library from a pure um technology architecture perspective, we've tried to be more open and easier to play with with other sources of content. Um, The the other side of it, though, is that we really are just focused on trying to make the experience better for readers. We're not trying to acquire a customer so that we can also sell them a flat screen TV or so that we can also uh, you know, <laughs> kind of you know, push them into our larger retail experience. Um, and it's, it's surprising how much that seems to matter to people. You know, they, um, you know, they're coming to an e-reader because they love books and they love reading. Um, they're not coming to it because they want to be fed into a customer acquisition funnel uh, for, a, custom, for a, um, a company that ultimately you know, really wants them to buy you know, hardware and socks.
1: Yeah. Um, and w- you've mentioned it already, but the Kobo Clara 2E, you've made arguably the most eco-conscious reader yet. Are there additional steps that can be taken to make a device that's even more sustainable?
0: Oh, absolutely. And I, and I think this is really just the beginning of a, uh, of a journey for us. And so in Kobo Clara 2E, we, you know, we targeted the, the materials of the device itself. So, uh, recycle plastics uh, for the cases, recycled plastics for um, uh, for the accessories as well. Also, uh, building new plastic compounds that could incorporate ocean-bound plastics. So, um, so we have that mixed in there too, and you know, all of that requires uh, some really interesting research on the material side, because you know. We want to make sure that we're not compromising on the feel of, of a device, how it you know how it sits in your hand, um, and and because people are so so emotional and so tactile around their reading experiences, we don't you know, we don't want to mess with those. Uh, but at the same time, we want the e-readers to be more sustainable. So uh, so that took some some creativity, some work, some science. Uh, to make sure that we came out with a new reader that was more sustainable from a plastics perspective, but also uh, feels really great when you hold it in your hand. What we can do beyond that and are already starting to do is um, looking at the carbon creation that goes around the other parts of the device experience. So we're you know, we're already tackling packaging. All packaging is now um, um, using both Recycled materials and sustainable inks, and is you know, again recyclable afterwards. After you've uh, after you've unboxed the product, and now we're going after the carbon that comes from shipping. So we entered into a really fascinating partnership with um, with an indigenous organization that is preserving rainforest uh, in British Columbia in Canada, where we're where we're headquartered, and the so that goes to both. Um, the purchasing of carbon credits to offset um, uh, to offset carbon from shipping, but then is also used for the both uh, the preservation of temperate rainforests and the preservation of maritime ecosystems that are adjacent to those of the coast. So there is um, there's a carbon mitigation aspect to it. There's a preservation and ecological diversity aspect to it, and it's also creating um, sustainable jobs and careers for indigenous peoples who are living on that land so again it's a it's an ongoing process and it's it's something where we keep finding new opportunities to shave a little bit more impact out of the system but it's an ongoing commitment we have.
1: and does that include accessories too um things like the uh the covers
0: yes yeah the, the covers as well so in the covers that are um that are shipping with cobalt Clara 2E, um, the plastic stiffeners that sit inside them, um, the, the the plastics of like the shells of the accessories themselves are uh, are all recycled as well.
1: Um and speaking about the Clara 2E also another big um, feature that it brings to the table is bluetooth to be able to listen to audiobooks through yes. wireless headphones so do you think audiobooks will uh, will become an even bigger way for users to consume books in future
0: we've seen that already so we've now been in um we've been in the audiobook business for a number of years and the main reason that we um That we started looking at audiobooks was because as much as we are competing against some of our kind of electronic and technology rivals, we're really competing for time. Um, so we're, you know, we're competing against YouTube and Facebook and TikTok and all of the other ways that you can spend your day. Uh, and audiobooks allow us to get into other parts of people's day aside from the time when they can sit down and look at a book uh, it allows us to bring reading to the time when you are going for a run or running errands or driving to work and um so it's it's just kind of part of our arsenal of, of how we're fighting for time for reading
1: um for, and this is my final question um as a big comic book fan um do you think we'll ever see a full color ebook reader one day
0: Never say never. Uh, we already, um, with our um, uh, with our apps for iOS and Android, do do quite a brisk trade in comics, graphic novels, and manga. Um, and in fact, in our business in Japan, which is uh, which is almost entirely phone based, by the way. So in the in Japan, um, there very little e reader use; a lot of phone use. Um, over 70% of what we sell are graphic novels and manga. So they're, uh, and, and that's probably the most kind of comic-consuming country in the world. So uh, there's clearly a lot of potential for people that are, uh, that are interested, not just in, um, in reading comics, but in reading some of those titles that are hard to get, that don't show up at your local store, um, that are coming from other countries. uh, there's already so much happening in that space and I absolutely expect more to be happening in the future. But as for a colour view reader, who can say? Unfortunately, we don't talk a lot about what we haven't released yet. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) All these things that we've already got out there.
1: Now on to Cam. And having played a bit with one during the Xiaomi product launch in Munich, he's here to give us his first impressions of the Xiaomi 12T Pro. So Cam, first question. What are the main differences between this new model and the older xiaomi 12 pro
3: so there are a couple of things but i think obviously the main sort of pillar the the thing that stands out on the spec sheet of course is that new samsung 200 megapixel camera sensor it's something i think samsung has been talking about most of this year or at least we've been aware of it for most of this year and we've finally seen it on a couple of new phones towards yeah just the last couple of months so what it enables is that once you enable that full 200 megapixels is that you can take a photo as normal and then you can sort of zoom into it without really losing much detail
1: um so it's it's mainly a camera bump I mean that's that's pretty much the sort of thing uh, we've been seeing right across the board recently on phones the the biggest changes have been the cameras um, but the uh, what else can you sort of like highlight about the 12t pro I mean it
3: so it is very similar. And it, yeah, I think the thing to remember is because it's a Chinese manufacturer, it is very normal for them to release a spec-bumped version of a previous phone. Six months later, they've got very fast turnaround in the Chinese markets. Uh, but we have, there are other differences too. Like they, they did enable the 120-watt fast wired charging. And what that essentially means to, for every normal person who maybe isn't even into tech, um, is that you can plug your phone in when it's empty, and it will be fully refilled within twenty minutes, uh, which is really cool. It means you don't have to plug your phone in overnight; you can just wait till it's empty, plug it in, and you're good to go. Within ten minutes, you've got plenty of juice left.
1: That's pretty. That is a pretty smart feature. That um, it's yeah. taking the bigger manufacturers, or I say bigger manufacturers. I mean, Xiaomi's a massive manufacturer, anyway. But the uh, the possibly better known Western manufacturers. Uh, quite a while to catch up on
3: <laughs> yeah it is and i think it's funny because it sort of it stands quite it's in contrast to what apple and samsung are doing and sony even they're trying to reduce the amount of extra bits that come in the box to reduce waste and shipping costs and all sorts of other stuff whereas these other companies particularly from china are going yeah you can charge your phone in 20 minutes and they give you this massive charger in the box to let you do it um, so, yeah, it's, it's a very different approach to what we've seen from the bigger-name the Western sort of regarded manufacturers, yeah.
1: So what other the um, features? Say someone hasn't uh, considered a Xiaomi phone for a while, um, what other features would you recommend about the 12T Pro that you've seen already?
3: I think the good thing about the Xiaomi phone is it's probably, it's maybe not even a feature. I think it's it's more to do with the competitive price point because you have a lot of these sort of high-end, top-tier features. So you have a really good display. You have the latest Snapdragon processor, which means it's going to be really fast. It will load all your games quickly. Um, and it's got great stereo sound speakers, loudspeakers on it. And it also costs a lot less than, say, an iPhone 14 Pro or Samsung Galaxy S23 Ultra might. Um I think, I'm trying to remember the price point, but it's certainly under £800, and this is like their top-tier phone in the European markets.
1: Um, And what's the screen size?
3: 6.7 inches, or 6.67. So it's a pretty big screen as well. It's sort of that trend of releasing a really big screen, powerful smartphone.
1: So you're getting quite a lot of bang for your buck. Um, Yeah, exactly. Back to the other... Products that you might have seen out in Munich. Um, did you actually get to see the twelve T, the original, the uh, the smaller version?
0: Yeah,
3: well, actually, you say smaller version, it's exactly the same. <laughs> so you have the two side <laughs> you you have the two side by side, and you you really cannot tell them apart. And the only real difference between those two phones is the chipset inside. It uses a MediaTek processor, again a flagship processor, but not quite as powerful as the twelve T Pro and it also has uh, the 108-megapixel camera instead of the 200-megapixel, and that's really it. Everything else is the same.
1: So if you were sort of like pushed, would you you say that it's probably more economical to consider the 12T?
3: Possibly, yes, but then I also feel like I would be very curious to see what the 200-megapixel camera is like and it from using it the first few times I've used it as long as you use it in daylight conditions it genuinely is really impressive how sharp the images can be like as long as you're taking photos of like buildings with straight lines and stuff it's it's just really <laughs> sharp especially when you're zooming in once you get into like the trees and the bushes where there's a lot more uh, detail going on then it, it sort of falls away a bit but it is it's genuinely impressive how sharp it can be when you zoom in
1: there are quite a few other products that uh, Xiaomi won't be bringing to europe at least or at least not to the yes. uk um like i i wasn't i wasn't i wasn't really um uh clued up on whether or not the robot vacuum cleaner will be coming to the uk sounded interesting no wasn't?
3: not yeah it did it's it is it does sound very interesting um but as far as i know it's not coming to the uk but i don't think that necessarily means we won't see something very similar from maybe Roborock, which is also a xiaomi company um but yeah it. that's a that's a vacuum cleaner that can mop your floors and then it docks itself to to clean itself empty its dust bins cleans its mops has a heater in it to dry those mops afterwards so you don't even have to clean them yourself it literally it looks out itself. from school yeah wouldn't that be great yeah (laughs) serves you dinner (laughs) (laughs) yeah
1: that would be that would be ideal and writes all our copy that would be brilliant yeah
3: amazing does everything for you yeah exactly (laughs) but that would that's an expensive Hoover. i think in europe it's like 900 euros or something so it really is like a top level uh, vacuum cleaner
1: so i I suppose my last big thing is um can you see xiaomi sort of gaining gravitas in places like the UK and US, um, has this launch um, shown you that it is ready to take on the bigger boys?
3: I think it's it's one of those things where it's going gonna, it's gonna to take time for people to become more aware of the brand because I think now if you say the name Xiaomi to anyone, they won't know who you're talking about still, whereas Apple and Samsung have got that long history of what we call, I guess, mental mind share. Um, where people are just so aware of Samsung and Apple now because they've been part of the smartphone story since it began. Um, so I think it will, it will help, but I don't think it's gonna be like the, the I guess the silver bullet that may, that goes here, have this amazing phone, because there are so many phones like it already. So yeah, not necessarily, but I think they're they're definitely improving on that front. And that's it for another Pocket Lint podcast. We'll
1: be back soon, so please join us then. In the meantime, please also rate us on the podcast platform of your choice and or let us know what you think of the podcast on Twitter at Pocket Lint and Instagram at PocketLint.com. And don't forget to keep up with all the latest tech news, reviews and roundups on Pocket-Lint.com. I've been Rick Henderson and until next time, tatty bye.